0: See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You're listening to the Wild 7 Podcast Network. Listen different. Oh, I'm so glad I caught you before you went home for the night, because have I got some news for you. The craziest thing happened to me last Thursday. Or or actually, was it last Thursday? Oh, no, actually, it couldn't have been last Thursday, because I, I was working all day. Uh, so it was on, uh, on Wednesday. The craziest thing happened on Wednesday. I, oh, or actually, no, it couldn't have been Wednesday, because I had that root canal surgery that lasted all afternoon, and then I had dinner at my parents' house. So it had to have been uh, it, Tuesday. On Tuesday, the craziest thing happened to me. Uh, oh, oh, wait, was it Tuesday. Or actually, what am I saying? It can't be Tuesday. On Tuesdays, I always have my Winning at Gratitude seminar. Uh, I would say it had happened on Monday, except I know for a fact that nothing ever happens on a Monday. I guess it must have happened on Sunday. Actually, that's impossible, because on Sunday, I volunteer all day long at the Non-Denominational Church of Jesus Christ. And I know it's not on Saturday when this happened, because Saturdays the wife and I are always practicing sexual positions, if you know what I mean. So that leaves us with Friday. Except it can't be Friday, because Friday's for fishing. So I guess that takes us to Thursday, but that doesn't make sense. I just established it couldn't have been on Thursday, and there's no other day to choose from. I I I don't even remember what I was going to tell you. I I don't even know who I am. My mind is going away. I'm regressing. I'm regressing. I'm regressing back to the primordial oo. In the woods of Alex Rogers. Episode 22, I'm Still Not Over Game of Thrones. Okay, okay, everyone settle down. Inside voice, single file, no pushing. No, Bobby, stop. Pushing Tommy. Susie, stop nudging Suzanne. I need all of you to get... Well, I did my role. I did my part. You hear that authoritative voice of mine? I tried to wrangle these children. Look, I'll try it again. Guys, stop it. Stop it. See? I tried my best, and they just won't behave. Welcome back, my chilly, willy, silly friends. This is Alex Rogers... Recording and reporting from a timeless zone in which your listening is the now. The now, baby. The now is here. The now is clear. And whether we know it or not, we are always in it. So, welcome back. To what is. And, uh, well, <clears throat> it is uh, always changing these days. We never know what's coming up, but apparently we're starting to get back to normal, or what I like to call halfway to normal, which has honestly been probably um, a working title of my autobiography since my birth. So look for Halfway to Normal by Alex Rogers. But yes, we are starting to open things up again. We, the people, the government, places of business, everything. We're trying to make life post-COVID. But, you know, I've watched too many zombie and monster movies, and every time everyone thinks the monster's dead and they all start jumping up and down, as Joey Diaz would say, you're all going to start jumping up and down right now. Uh, Well... That's where the monster then springs back up, and then everyone's like, wait, I thought we killed it! I thought it was time for summer vacation! I got my short shorts and everything! As you all may know, I work at a grocery store, and, um... They now have, uh, they, the people who run this whole show, have decided that um, as long as you're vaccinated, you can come in and not wear a mask, and come on, people, all you have to do is go, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm vaccinated. I can't exactly stand there at a grocery store and say, papers, please, show me your vaccination card before I take you in to inject you with our own chemicals. So yes, at the grocery store, if you want to come in, you do not have to wear a mask because we're all trusting you. Now, a little observation I've made. Why is it that the people who have chosen to take their masks off immediately after we're given the note that you don't have to wear it anymore appear to be the same people who were incapable of wearing a mask in the first fucking place? I don't mean to be judgy, but um I often am, and uh too bad. But god damn it, there's this kind of type that I've seen where it's just the typical, wow, just mouth open, eyes blinking, glazed over, looking up at buildings, going into the grocery store with this lost wonder face of they have shelves and everything. Why is it like that is the person who's unmasking first? I, If you're going to unmask and show us your face, because we haven't seen your face in a year, make a presentation here, people. Come on, you, show us them pearly whites or those pearly yellows or, or those pearly brown with, with dying bacteria between your teeth. Show us what you got. And, and let your personality shine. I don't want to see this lost fucking chewing the cud uh, look on your fucking face. Because it's a, it's not encouraging. We're getting back to humanity. And the first people out the gate are the not fully developed out of the oven people. Alex, that's mean. Well, I'm also just being a little bit frustrated because even though the monster is apparently dying... Um, just have a little sense of decorum. Fine. Take the mask off, but like, let, let's let's see your highest self, okay? Don't, don't, don't come lumbering in a like, oh, it's great to finally add my oxygen to the room. <laughs> well, here we are two years later after the finale of Game of Thrones. And I'm just not over it. Now, some of you watched all of Game of Thrones, and you might indeed kind of know where I'm about to go with this argument—not well, argument, but you know this, this, the statement. And and then, of course, you have people who uh, haven't seen Game of Thrones, and maybe they want to. So, I'm going to make this as spoil-free as I can. If I if I come across a spoiler, I'll give you the warning. But I'm going to try to walk a tightrope of conversation in which I get into how I feel about the whole experience of Game of Thrones without spoiling, but to nevertheless map out a deep feeling that I have about the whole thing. So it will be as spoil-free as I can make it, but it will not be emotion-free. It breaks my heart that Game of Thrones shat the bed in its final season. Some would argue it was already starting to shit those sheets even before. Me, I saw some weaknesses coming in around season five. And then it kind of pulled itself together a few more times, and then it kept falling apart. Then it pulled itself back together, and then ultimately it just really dropped the ball. But I want to come into this conversation today not as just an angry, dejected fan, but also as an aspiring storyteller who can only imagine how difficult it is in the first place to get any idea off the ground, written, televised, and then in, miraculously be in great demand by a wide variety of fans. We can only hope and dream that any one of us who wants to tell stories in some kind of storytelling medium can get something as seen and revered as Game of Thrones was. And yes, I just said was, not is. I'm sure some of you will watch it No matter what, we'll always stick with it. We'll always enjoy it. But a lot of us can't touch it again, at least not for a long time. Because it's like having to go visit your mangled lover who's been disfigured and beaten up and is now unrecognizable. And even though you still love that lover, it's just not the same person. And the worst part is that person kind of did it to themselves. And you're just like, oh, fuck. What happened to you? It's, it's a terrible yang to the yin of being a fan of, of loving something. I mean, I felt the same way. I've been feeling the same way about Star Wars ever since 1999. When even though I was still a boy at that time, I knew what I was looking at on the screen was not good. And it was the first real peeling of the onion of disillusionment where I went, oh no, people care a lot more about money and scope and big shit than quality storytelling with just enough special effects. All right, how do I condense this so that those who know Game of Thrones, and those who don't know Game of Thrones can all play the game together today on this show. Well, let me let me take it back a little bit here. I, Alex Rogers, who by the way finds himself in DTLA DTLA today, and um, so if you hear any uh, loud stereos or or passing traffic or people outside going, Fuck you! No, you fuck you! I'll fuck you first! Fuck me last! Then um, you'll know w- where we are. Um, but I have always been a fan of fantasy. And I don't just mean, you know, boy, I'd love to get together with Mrs. Robinson and and dress up as characters' fantasies. Uh, <laughs> we all have those. But I mean fantasy genre, where you're going to see some sword and sorcery, where you're going to see some dungeons and dragons, where you're going to see some wizards and warriors. I, I, I love that world. I've always enjoyed it. And, and what's interesting about it, too, is that many different art forms have done it justice, namely paintings. There's some phenomenal artwork by people like Frank Frazetta and Boris Vallejo. And of course, it's immortalized and almost basically created in the Lord of the Rings books, well, The Hobbit, and then the Lord of the Rings books by J.R.R. Tolkien. And from that, you get millions of other sagas written by various people. Some shout-outs that I can think of are R.A. Salvatore, who did the Drist series, the Dark Elf series in the uh, Forgotten Realms. Uh, uh, I've been saying series so much, what am I trying to say? Like, you know, the Forgotten Realms, a subsidiary of Dungeons and Dragons, did their own novel series, and this guy, R.A. Salvatore, really made a name for himself and created a cool character that a lot of us, especially in our teenage years, got into. This guy, Drist and a cool Dark Elf who roams the lands, and comes from a place of evil, but he himself has a heart of gold and is helping out his friends left and right. And then, of course, you have George R.R. R. Martin, who wrote this incredible Song of Ice and Fire series, which was then made into the Game of Thrones television series. Now, on a storytelling visual front, like film and TV it's definitely gotten better, and I'd say one of our best examples, Lord of the Rings Trilogy. I will always love that. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that I got to see those in the theater as they came out, and at a young enough age where I was just so excited. I mean, I, w- I would be excited today, too, but, but being a kid of 17, 18, 19, seeing those movies come out, perfect time for that really felt like that feeling like, okay, good, this is my generation's trilogy. And um, the funny thing, though, about Lord of the Rings is that it's PG-13 world and there is no sex. I mean, truly, like, like I, even in the books, like, you kind of get the feeling like, does anyone have sex? Does anyone have any, like, sick perversions what about masturbation what about kinky shit nothing going on in lord of the rings world i think everyone is spawned out of toadstools (laughs) but game of thrones or i should say song of ice and fire because that's the real real name of that series oh my god it's x-rated i mean we're talking about frontal nudity of men and women and all kinds of sex, and not all of it consensual. In fact, most of it non-consensual. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and, and some pretty fucked up dynamics, too. And not all of it appropriate. And, I mean, let's put it this way. Some fan favorites, both in the books and in the series. Uh, it's a brother and sister who have got a more than close connection going on. So it's some dark sordid shit going on in the world of Game of Thrones. But what makes that interesting is, well, is that it's interesting, is that you have people who are complicated. One of the great things about the, especially the books, is that these characters are morally undefinable. And the show was doing a very good job with that as well, where you couldn't quite say, well, he's a bad guy and he's a good guy, or she's a villain and she's a hero. It is either one of these men and women that we look at throughout these shows, are they fully this or fully that? You know, you'll have one character, one of, one of my favorite characters on the show, Jamie Lannister, he, he, and, and in the books. I mean, he's a fascinating dude. Not a good guy, but also not an evil man. He's done some fucked up shit. Let's put it this way. In the first episode of that series, you see this guy not only fucking his sister, like it's just woohoo, no problem here, and they have a connection. Uh, it's, it, for them, it's it, it's working, so, uh, you know, all right. But we, the viewers, go, whoa, okay? And then right after that, he pushes a child out of a tower window, and the kid goes plummeting down to his almost death. So we at first are going, fuck this guy, this sister fucking kid pushing asshole. And then we even start to see already, just a few episodes later, some of his more nuanced characteristics. And one of the things about this character is that he's nicknamed the Kingslayer. Now, this isn't anything spoily, you learn this in the first few episodes. But he long ago killed the king of all the realms. And he got a bad reputation for it because that caused a lot of problems and everyone's been in sort of a civil unrest ever since. So he was written off as just like, oh yeah, this guy just, he, he, he defied all of the honor. He doesn't know his place and he, he defiled the realm. He, he murdered a king. Well, we learn a bit later on that that very king would have caused massive genocide on not only the enemy, but on his own people, had Jamie Lannister not killed him. So, there you go. There's these little moments of like, well, we've seen some evil deeds, we've seen some sordid deeds, some tasteless deeds, and yet, the guy has more honor than you would actually think. He, he had to sacrifice his reputation to save millions of lives. There's a lot of that in this show. You have people making very hard, show and books, hard decisions, nuanced decisions. Oftentimes, these are characters who are parents, and they're thinking about their mates and their children and their people, because oftentimes, like in Shakespeare and other great big stories, these are people with titles and power, and they are representative of the people in their realms. They got some hard decisions to make while keeping themselves alive in the Game of Thrones, which basically is to say this is a continual volleyball match for power, and the crown of the realms is constantly being passed from side to side to side. You essentially take the War of the Roses saga, which is real, in England's history, you throw on some Lord of the Rings and some Conan and a couple other little tropes and goodies from all things sci-fi and fantasy, but you anchor it with... You know what? The person who got me into this, my good friend Alec, and we we now on the show know who Alec is because we listen to his great music through his band Ghostbound. He was the one who told me initially that this show was co- coming to HBO. And he recommended that I get into the books. Now, I've read the first book. So before you all jump down my throat and uh, hear all you people doing what I was doing last week to say, yeah, the book's better, I, I, I agree. I, re- I read the first book. I really enjoyed it. And I read it as Game of Thrones was about to come to the big, well, the big or small screen. And I really loved it. I got into it. It's very well written. I'm, I'm totally defending George R. R. Martin's work. And another description that I got from Alec that kind of got me into it, and he said it very well, he said, Game of, uh, that Song of Ice and Fire, or Game of Thrones, is the Sopranos with swords instead of guns. So you see what I mean? These are, these are families of power, Very mafia-like, but also that's old-school England. And by the way, the world of Game of Thrones is completely made up. It doesn't take place in, like, old England, but you get the sense that it kind of is about that. And sure enough, you even have northern territories and southern territories that very much resemble England and its histories. So that's what we're modeling it off of. But, of course, it is its own little universe. Now, here's something to make very, very important here the show kind of eventually even pretty well into its own like first second or third season was known as by detractors and cynics as the dragon show oh my god i want i remember seeing once they 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 played it on something where you just see these just mindless people on some nothing daytime talk show news thing that just you know just more poison for everyone And they're like, what's up with the show Game of Thrones? And I remember this woman was like, I don't know, but I don't like dragons. Were you like, how old are you? 47. Why do you sound like you're six? I don't know. But like, at that time, yeah, and by, yes, and there are dragons, and there is sorcery, and there are uh, undead zombie dragons armies, and there are lots of different creature features throughout the show. But guess what? Initially, they were in the background. So I remember when I was getting into it, and detractors would go, oh, yeah, that dragon show. Hey, hey, fucker, the dragons are very much in the background. They're the, they're the cool surprise every few episodes. Same thing with the battles. You, you maybe got a good battle once a season. Or even duels. You maybe got one or two a given season. But you know what you got then, in addition to these little moments? Amazing scenes of great acting, great dialogue, really nuanced characters. And the big surprise for me is that here I am, someone who has loved fantasy his whole life. And yes, folks, there was a time when it wasn't cool, all right? Before Harry Potter, before Lord of the Rings movies, and before Game of Thrones you had to kind of be comfortable with yourself to be saying, hey, I'm into Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy books. I remember being a 12-year-old in 6th grade in 1995 into 96, which, funny enough, that's when the first Game of Thrones book came out, called A Game of Thrones. I didn't read it at the time, though. wish I had, but oh well. And... I was getting into Dungeons & Dragons, and we're talking tabletop, roll the dice, fill out a sheet with your character stats, which always took an entire whole day, and then you'd be too exhausted to even start the campaign until the next day. But anyway, uh, it was some nerdy-ass shit, and ain't no way some attractive ladies going, Team Daenerys, were ever going to be fucking part of that scene. There was no way that was happening back in the 90s. If you were into the fantasy genre, you had to kind of understand that you're not dating anyone and you're not cool. (laughs) And I... And who fucking cares? I loved it, and I look back with total fondness. I loved playing Dungeons & Dragons. I loved reading those Forgotten Realms novels and reading Lord of the Rings. And I read those books, fuckers. I put in the time. And so I, and I put in the time to make my character sheets, to roll those dice, to, to roll... I once saw a great T-shirt that said, Jesus saves and takes half damage that's an inside joke for Dungeons & Dragons fans, and I won't explain it right now except just, you know, picture the dice rolling and, and, and there you have it. But um, it was a world of imagination, and it wasn't easily accessible yet like the show Game of Thrones. What blew my mind is by the time Game of Thrones came out, I was almost sort of not over fantasy, but I had other focuses. And I almost figured, eh, after Lord of the Rings, I'm not interested anymore. And I doubt they're going to do it well. And I must admit, I get a little uh, hoity-toity. If I'm into a genre and I've been into it my whole life, and then they make some big production, which at first to me seems like kind of like an eh example of what the genre could be. And then it becomes a massive hit. And everyone who's seen it before me goes, oh, that shit's so tight. I do have that judgment where I go, well, yeah, yeah. Because you probably have no fucking experience with the genre. So, of course, it's great. You're just Johnny-come-lately going, Oh, look at this! Well, I was proven wrong, at least for the first few seasons. Because, sure enough, for a while, Game of Thrones, unbelievably, was hitting every single corner of society. And you people out there listening right now, you need to recognize who you are. Some of you right now wouldn't have fucking touched this world when you were a teenager along with me. You weren't at all thinking about fantasy. The last fucking thing you would have been doing is thinking about the queen of dragons or a dwarf who's out thinking all of the bigger people in the land or a cool girl who's got a dagger called Needle as she assassinates people. You wouldn't have touched it. But amazingly, I'm looking at successful executive types, jock types, fashion types, supermodel types, and indeed nerd types. Everyone, the, the, the working class, the upper class, the no class, everyone got into Game of Thrones. They found a formula that was working. And I'm seeing people caring about the types of people. I've been caring about, but trust me, they never did before. And some of y'all never will after. This was a weird little 10-year experiment in which we, a lot of us, got sucked in and loved it. I mean loved it. We loved it. We loved it. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why the show shat the bed. I'm not going to... Dog on the showrunners In this episode I've watched a lot of different videos That have broken down the whole problem With what happened I'm not going to get into it And uh, I've seen also a lot of people Hate on these guys And it's very easy to hate on people Who you feel have betrayed you But I will say one thing That has been brought up a lot And it is important to keep in mind The show was based on great Writing that it was already established in novel form. So the best examples of characterization and dialogue, and all of that translates to great writing, that's coming from a source that was already existing. So I I know for me, I defend the first four seasons of Game of Thrones as solid gold. Solid gold. And if there are any little iffy moments, they are easily smoothed over by 10 million amazing things that happen in between and after all those moments. And then, funny enough, around season five, the involvement of George R. R. Martin, the actual creator of these books, his involvement becomes less and less. And also, as of now as I speak, we don't have a conclusion to the books yet. This was very problematic because now, show-wise, we've kind of caught up to all the events that we want to focus on in the book. They're done now. Now where do we go from here? And it's easy to pick on these guys and say, you guys fucked it up and you you took the, all these characters in dumb directions. I'm going to take a little moment right now, though, and just say, well, when you're writing off of someone else's writing, and, um, and don't get me wrong, they knew how to package it well. Not everything George R. R. Martin wrote could have translated to the screen. They had to do some editing. They had, to, they had to present his writing in a very smart way. And they did it very well. But when it then came time for them to now carry the characters on their own, without the input of God himself, <laughs> it, it, it got dicey. And long story short, Characters were no longer characters, they were just catalysts for plot points to be hurried up and crossed off the list. And also, long story short, they ended the show, it seems, kind of in a hurry, and they did not love the characters the way we did. But man, it's really interesting, what, what does it say about us as people where we fall in love with fictional characters played by actors. And these actors, by the way, a lot of them, as well-meaning as they are, they have no power. They have no more power than we do. They were as helpless as the rest of us to have any say in the direction of the roles that they played. That shitty final season, and I'm just, without getting into it, I'm just letting y'all know the writing took a dive, like a dive, in that last season, I'm not going to say I could have done any better. And all of you fans out there with your fan theories, and I, they should have ended it this way, good for you, but I doubt you could have made it amazing, amazing, amazing either. I think the show needed more time, probably another three seasons, of really developing these characters and giving them the proper conclusion that they truly deserved. And why do I say truly deserved about figments, about phantoms of thought? Because again, they don't exist. These are people we decided to ch- to really care about. I mean, some of y'all named your children Daenerys. I think that was, and if you don't like it now, because of what they did with Daenerys later on, eh, you should have maybe thought about, <clears throat> you know, naming your your child something that we don't fully know the full story about yet. But they really did fuck up some things, and I can't get into every detail because we're already running out of time here, but it's a big lesson that when you love, when, when your fans love something, you got to take that into consideration but at the same time, you know, here's, it's weird. I'm just, I'm sitting here realizing that sometimes too much attention, too much love is bad for something. And I'm going to make a a, a a bit of a bold statement here. I think we helped fuck up Game of Thrones. We, the people loved it way too much. It's not our fault because they did genuinely touch upon a formula that was working And it universally captured all walks of life. And that is special. It's kind of what we all as people are always waiting for. What's going to unite us? What's going to bring us together where we all feel like we are active participants in a grand wonder? And we got so into it that I think through social media... And through all of these in your face, I mean, dude, it got to the point where you couldn't even see like news anchors without saying, "Tonight in the news, terrible situation in the Gaza Strip." Uh, much like the wildlings uh, in opposition against the Night's Watch on the wall, you know, like <laughs> just you know, everybody was getting into this show and into this world, and I can only imagine how that will fuck up the heads of. Two dudes They're just dudes They're just human beings How would you do If you just kind of Let's try something out And suddenly it's bigger than you ever Could have guessed I mean when I was I'm still a dork But when I was a 12 year old dork If they told me oh yeah this whole Kind of world that you're into It's going to be the number one Hit show for about a decade. I mean, dude, I I I wouldn't have believed you. I'd be like, well, 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 I mean, maybe us nerds, but you're never gonna get the cheerleaders and the jocks and the and the career minded people. They're not gonna be actually. They are. They're gonna love it just like you. But it's a big lesson, I think, as a as a as a would be writer and and a storyteller here. I'm reminded that. If you have made characters that people are loving, that even you love, think about what they're doing, because the characters still need to do things that are in line with their character. You can't just make people do shit just to get to the next plot point, and that was truly the biggest wound that happened. And I think that comes from interference with too many hands in the pie. They had some incredible heartbreaking moments in the earlier parts of the series where they would take characters who you got to know and love and then suddenly they're murdered. And that was one of the greatest things about the show is it fucked with your feelings. But I got the vibe after a while that they had some fucking Nielsen rating dude with them who was like, according to our statistics, uh, during uh, season three, there was a peak moment at episode nine where there was this big disaster. So for the following seasons, you, you need to make sure that you. They, it felt like they were just hitting the notes that they organically came upon and indeed earned very deservedly so the craze and wonder of the audience. But once you're just going through a checklist of and insert shock scene here and insert money shot there, nah, it no longer works. But it is a warning to both sides be careful of the hysteria, the mania that you put into your love and focus on the show, on the movie, on the painting, on the dream. And if you are feeling, I'm just thinking, okay, if, we all, if any of us are lucky enough to have millions of people liking us, believing in us, calling us geniuses, whether we have actually earned that title or not, <sighs> remember why you did this. We love these characters. So don't hurt the ones you love. <laughs> <laughs> especially when they're fictional. We're Look, I get it. We're real people. We're still figuring out how to not hurt each other. But like when they're fictional and you actually have a running start on not physically harming them, let's see them through to the end. And let's really also, and, and things may change. <clears throat> you may go out and think, oh, this is just some experiment. But when the world loves it, it, it changes it. It just does. Game of Thrones was changed by the response that it was receiving. And it's just, I think, a big lesson for everyone. Well, my friends, all these pontifications and wanderings have simply put me in a pretzel. I have no more answers or questions after all of this. I just find myself feeling a little blue by the fact that I can't go back just yet and fully absorb what I had come to love because of how it ended up. And so I'm still hurting. And yes, even though this shit never existed, it really does show us that we care about stories. I mean, I get it, I get it. The first thing is find some warmth, get shelter, get food, get water. But then the next step after all of your immediate survival items is you then have community, you have human contact, and guess what? Storytelling is a real thing. It's not some little, like, eh, we'll get to it when we get to it. Maybe nowadays it is, but back in the day, at the end of a long hunt, at the end of a long day, you're gathering around the fire to hear some stories. It's entertainment. We are creatures who love stories about people who never existed. But what's always happening with a great story about someone who never existed? At all times, we're relating to them. It brings out our mundane reality into a beautiful light, focusing on the fictional world. So, be sure that when you tell that tale to everyone around the campfire that it doesn't end in a way in which those people want to then throw you into that very fire. (laughs) All right, my friends, that's that for now. We'll tune in again real soon in the mean in between. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your rhyme.